Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and as we do at this time, we want to remember our sister church, Pineville Park Baptist Church. They are having a pastor come in view of a call this morning. We want to be in prayer for that church, and also we want to be in prayer for the Tudor family. If you haven't heard already, Buddy Tudor passed away early this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you this day, and we truly pray that our prayer is that as long as we have breath, we will praise you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of worship and the opportunity that we have this morning to come into your throne room and to encounter you face to face. Lord, we want to lift up to you right now our sister church, Pineville Park Baptist Church, as Steve McAllister is there preaching in view of a call. We pray, God, that your will will be done in that situation. We pray, God, that you will find a perfect marriage between pastor and congregation that that church may advance in the years to come to assist all of us in reaching this area for you. Lord, we also lift up the Tudor family to you as they mourn the loss of Buddy. We know his long struggle with cancer and a long fight that he fought valiantly and that you helped him to gain many years through that fight. But Lord, now as he's gone home to be with you, we pray, Lord, that you will rest with Patsy and the children and the rest of the family as they mourn his loss. God, may he, you be glorified in his death. As we turn our hearts towards the subject of worship this morning, we pray that you will instruct us in how we might best communicate with you in this thing we call worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of us who call ourselves Christians need to and must get serious about worship. Now, that statement implies that perhaps we're not serious. And I would dare say that most Christians in churches this morning in America are really not that serious about worship. Someone has said our problem is that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. I think that is all too often true. As we learned last week, we must get our priorities straight. Now, Mike Peavy listened to the first minute of the sermon last week because at least five times this week he said, we've got to get our priorities right, Stuart. I love that. We must get our priorities straight in the church of Jesus Christ. The worship of God is the most important action of the people of God. Worship is the source of the church's power to carry out its mission in the world. Worship is the only activity in the church that will persist beyond history. And hear this, worship may exist apart from a church, but a church cannot exist apart from worship. My prayer for us as a church is that we would get serious about worship. There is power in worship. If you want to see God do things in First Baptist Church of Pineville like you've never seen him do before, get serious about worship. If you want to see God do amazing things in our nation like we've never seen him do before, get serious about worship. So far in this series, we've discussed our privilege of worship, that we have this glorious privilege to enter into the Lord's presence through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about that worship should be our top priority as believers and as a church. 
We've also on Sunday evenings considered some principles of worship. We've looked at what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. We've talked about preaching's role in worship. And this morning we consider the persons of worship. There are two persons involved in worship. Very simply, God and a believer. Just two persons. When I worship in private or in in public, it's God and me. When you worship in private and in public, it's God and you. And when we all come together, as we do this morning in worship, it's God and us. We are worshiping together. There are two persons in worship. And we, we can use a number of images to communicate and describe how these two persons, God and us, interact in worship. There are many that we could list, but I could think of three especially this week that stood out in my mind as to what worship is like. We could talk about a servant before a king. A servant before a king. We could talk about a child with a father. And we can talk about two friends sitting at a table. Images of this conversation of worship where worship is communication in relationship. The first image there, a servant before a king. In Psalm 45, verse 1, we read, My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. That's the attitude of a servant before the master. The servant bows before his king out of reverence to him. He gives him praise that is due him. He gives him the honor that is due him, the respect and reverence that is due him. The king is his master and the servant bows willingly in submission and in obedience to him. And during his audience with the king, the servant usually also has an opportunity to let his needs be known to the king. And to share with the king what he could do. As Psalm 5 verse 2 says, listen to my cry for help, my king and my God, for you, to you, I pray. As the servant comes before the king, the king receives the honor and is magnified. He blesses the servant and sends the servant out with his blessing as he has been in the king's presence. A second image we may use to describe the communication is that of a child with a father. In Psalm chapter 103, verses 13 and 14, we read, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. The child that climbs up in his daddy's lap or her daddy's lap does so out of love and affection. They climb up and they want to maybe learn from their dad. Or they want to just spend time with their dad. Maybe they just want to lay back on his chest and feel his warmth and hear his heart and smell his fragrance. Maybe they just want to be in dad's presence. And every dad can say that the dad is blessed when the child does this. The dad is glorified, and so dad is exalted by the simple love of his child. Another image that we could use to describe this 
communication in relationship that happens in worship is that of two friends sitting at a table. A common occurrence in our day, two friends sitting down for a cup of coffee. And I've always loved the verse of Exodus 33:11 that says that God would talk to Moses as a friend talks to a friend face to face. What a wonderful image of what worship can and should be of two friends coming together and talking about things in life. The two friends who sit at the table are mutually blessed. They come before one another and they share with each other their joys and they laugh about the good things in life. And they share with each other because they're such close friends. They share with each other their struggles. They share with each other their trials, and they may even cry together. But whatever they're sharing, the time is beautiful. And as they leave, they say, we should do this again. What do you have next week? A servant before a king, a child with a father, two friends at a table. In every image, we see communication in relationship. The servant doesn't bow to every king. He only bows to his king. Oh, the other kings might be rulers of great nations, but this servant only has allegiance to one king, and he only bows to that one because he has a relationship with his king. The child does not crawl up into the lap of any other man in the world as he or she does her own father. Oh, he might climb up into the lap of a Sunday school teacher and enjoy that time or climb up in the lap of his grandfather even. But there is a special bond between a father and a son and a father and a daughter that is in that relationship that comes forward. It's communication in relationship. The friend, one of those friends would not dare sit at another table with a stranger and share their joys with that stranger or share their tri- trials with that stranger. They only do it with their best friend, their trusted friend, because they have a relationship with one another. Worship is communication in relationship. You cannot have the kind of intimate communion or communication with God in worship if you don't have a relationship with God. The best worship comes from those who know God best. And so I ask you at the outstart of this message, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Can you honestly say today that he is my king and I bow to no other master but my Lord Jesus Christ? Can you honestly say today that God the Father is your father and that the relationship that you have with him is unlike any other relationship that you have in your life? Where you can crawl up into his lap, your heavenly dad's lap, and share with him your joys and your struggles. Where you can sit in his presence and just enjoy being with him. And I ask you today, can you honestly say that Jesus is your friend? That you talk to him face to face as one friend talks to another. Do you know Jesus this morning? You see, I think it's important that you do because you will hear this message differently if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ than if you are not. So I'd like for us to pause a moment and pray. And it may be that this is a time when you need to ask the Lord to come into your heart as your Lord and Savior. We'll give you an opportunity later in the service to let everyone know. But I thought it appropriate today to pause and to ask this right now.
Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that those in this sanctuary this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior would right now simply realize that they need you in their lives, that they need you to be their master, that they need you to be their friend, that they need you to be their Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that they would come before you right now, that they'd admit their sins, they'd realize that Jesus paid for those sins on the cross, they confess those sins to you. They confess you as Lord and Savior and that you would enter their heart and life today, transforming them and making them new. Lord, we give you praise for the lives that you're transforming even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of these images are communication in relationship. The persons of worship, you and God, are in communication. But note something else in these images. Each of these people, whether it's the servant or the king or the father or the child or the, one of the other friends, they're all doing something. Everyone has a role to play in this conversation. And so that transfers over to worship that both God and us have roles in worship. There are things that we do in this conversation. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the roles of the persons of worship. Each of us has basically one role. That is that God reveals. That's his job in worship. And our job is to respond. Believers respond to what God reveals. We should ask, what does God reveal about himself? The question might better be asked, what, what doesn't God reveal? Because God reveals so much about himself. We have his word. We have thousands of years of his interaction with humanity. We have his plan of salvation. We have the Holy Spirit that's alive and well. We have Christ in our hearts. We know all of these things about God. He's given us his word. It reveals his heart. We sing songs where people are testifying of what God has done. We hear prayers prayed by people where he is revealed. And so we might ask, what hasn't he revealed? But the simple thing is, God reveals a lot in worship. And for all that he reveals, we can break it down, I think, into two things. Who he is and what he has done. Who he is and what he has done. Who he is. God has chosen to reveal himself as the triune God, the three-in-one God. We use the word Trinity to describe that. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And each person of the Trinity has a job and a role to play in worship as they do in everyday life, in the work of the Godhead. For instance, the Father is the recipient of worship. We come before the throne of Almighty God, the Father, the Creator of heavens and earth. We come before Him and He receives the worship. The Son is the high priest of worship. He's the one that made a way for us. And the Holy Spirit is the prompter and power behind worship. Now let's consider these. It's God in his role as Father that we worship. God the Father is the creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. He's the one who we sin against and he is the one who made a way for the redemption. It was the Father who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. 
God is the one who made that way. God is the recipient of worship. God the Father is described in Scripture as three times holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The angels declare that he is set apart. He is wonderfully set apart. And the separation between man and God was over and over again emphasized, as we've talked about, in the Old Testament. Where the Hebrew children, though they were God's people, found out that as a Jew, as a person of God, they could only come this far. And then they had to have a priest. And then that priest could only go this far without having a high priest. And that high priest could only... Do what he did one day of the year. Enter that holy of holies. But now through Jesus Christ, God has made the two one, has closed the gap between God and man, and has made a way where there seemed to be no way. He's made a way for us to go into the holy of holies through his blood and his work as our high priest. That's why we can sing and we need to sing Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. Because there isn't. Because without Jesus, we could not approach the throne of grace with confidence. We would have no privilege of worship. We would have no opportunity to worship. We must have Jesus in order for us to have that purpose and priority. The Son is the high priest of worship. The Spirit is the prompter, the power behind worship. He's the energizer of worship. Now, some weeks ago, we talked about in spirit and truth on Sunday night, and I said, anytime you mention the spirit and energizing and power, Baptists get scared that you're going charismatic. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit doing something in us, and that's exactly what God's Word teaches. Don't, haven't we been singing for years? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Haven't we sung that a thousand times? Have we not meant it? That really all is vain unless the Holy Spirit of the Holy One comes down. We've sung sung a bunch of times, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. We've sung it a thousand times, but do we mean it? Don't we need that touch? We've sung, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the presence of the Lord. We sing about the Spirit being with us. We ask Him to fall. We ask Him to do things within us. We ask Him to break us, melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. But do we really mean it? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says we worship by the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the energizer of worship. Just as the Shekinah glory of God's Spirit showered in upon the temple, God so wants to fill our place with His Spirit that we sense His presence and we are energized to worship. Where the Spirit can say, look to the Son who is the radiance of God's glory, who leads the way into the throne room of God. The Spirit wants to prompt us to come before Almighty God. The Son's the high priest. God the Father in all his glory and radiance is the recipient of worship. In worship, God reveals who he is. 
In worship, God also reveals what he has done. It's always been God's nature to remind us of what he's done. Throughout the Old Testament, we find out again and again God saying, I am the Lord your God, who, and then he talks about what he's done. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, to bring you into a new and glorious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the God who helped you cross the Red Sea. I'm the God who did this. And then he'll say even, I'm the God who's going to send you away and bring you back. He reminds them over and over again of what he has done. And he does the same thing in our services now. God not only reminds us of what he did in the Old Testament, but he reminds us every time we come together of what he did in the New Testament. Every time we come together, we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. All you have to do is look around this sanctuary and you'll see crosses all over the place to remind you of what Christ did. All you have to do is look into the stained glass windows of our sanctuary and you can see symbols of Christ that are representing things that he did. He reminds us over and over again of what he's done. This morning we sang, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all, everything else. Just give me Jesus. Did you mean that when you sang it? There's something about that name. God doesn't only reveal what he did centuries ago, but the cool thing is, is God still reveals what he's been doing in in just the last few years and what he's doing now. I wish we had time every Sunday to do kind of the Oprah mic, Donahue mic, into the congregation and say, what has God been doing for you this week? Because every week there would be different people who would share, man, would you believe that I had this kind of, of illness and we prayed and God healed me of that? Isn't it amazing? I was, I've been praying for this family member to accept Jesus Christ. And this week they accepted Jesus Christ. And there'd be other people that would say, you know what? I've been praying for a miracle in my life for about a year now. And I'm struggling with faith. But I know God is faithful. Would you help me pray? God has reminded me this week, even, that he hears my prayer. If we could have the opportunity to hear all of the stories in this room we would be reminded that God is still working. He's still doing wonderful things. Our testimony, our story with God should not be something that happened decades ago. It should be something that happened a second ago. Where we can say, look, here's what God just did this morning in my life. Here's what God did this week. In worship, God reveals. He reveals who He is. Excuse me. He reveals... What he has done. Our job is to respond. In his book, Worship is a Verb, Robert Weber says, In worship, we aren't responding to circumstances and situations in the church or in the world, or to values such as goodness and mercy. As a matter of fact, we are not even responding to life itself. Rather, our response is to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when we come into worship, we're tempted to respond to what's happening in the church or in the world instead of to God. We come beat down by the world. We come pessimistic about government or whatever. Or we come scared because of something like 9-11. And we respond to all of that stuff instead of coming to worship and responding to God. Interestingly, though, you might think that if, if 
God wants us to respond in worship, and that is our job, that God would demand that we respond to him. But you know what? He doesn't. God doesn't demand a response. That's not his nature. But I tell you what worship does. Worship demands that we make some kind of response, either to acknowledge God and worship him, or to turn around and walk away. You cannot have it both ways in worship. God gives us the choice, either to worship or to walk away. But you do have to make that choice. Stan Moser and Mike Harland in their book, Seven Words of Worship, say, Worship is our only reasonable response to God's revelation. Worship is our only reasonable response to God's revelation. I suppose we could do a lot of different things. But when you see what God has done and you see who God is, the only thing that you can do is to worship Him. To fall on your face before Him, seeing Him as He really is. And to exalt Him. Well, how do we respond? Franklin Segler was a longtime professor of pastoral ministry at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He was the guy who taught all the preacher boys about church music. Well, in his course and in his book, uh, Christian Worship, he identified several ways we respond in God's worship. And I want to just pull out a few of those this morning. First, we respond with our senses. We respond to God with our senses. Our senses were created by God, and they should be engaged in worshiping God. When we worship and we respond to God, we see things. We see a dramatic presentation or a video or a stained glass window or a friend worshiping or a friend crying or a friend laughing or a friend raising a hand. Or we, we see people gathered for worship. We hear the sound of instruments, the choir's anthem, the, the wonderful sound and glorious rapture of a congregation singing. Sometimes we even smell incense or we smell flowers or in Pineville we smell creosote. <clears throat> which can help remind us of hell. Might as well make the best of it since it smells like that so much. With our hands, we touch God's Word. That's why I very seldom put scriptures on the screen unless we're just flying through something. Because I want you to touch God's Word. I want you to look at it and get into it. Or at least get your iPod out and look at it on that. We touch the elements of the Lord's Supper. We touch a friend's hand or a friend's shoulder. We touch heaven. We use the sense of touch. We, we often also taste when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We taste and see that the Lord is good. We respond with our senses. We also respond with our minds. We sang this morning, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You can't know Jesus if you don't engage your mind. You can't leave your mind at the door and then come in. You've got to use your mind in worship and respond to God. Paul urged his followers to have the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. He said in Philippians 4 to think on the graces of the Christian life. In Romans he said to become transformed by the renewing of your minds. Jesus declared that we should worship in spirit, our heart's affections, our emotions, and in truth, our mind. 
We respond with our minds. We respond with our emotions. In the Bible, heart is synonymous with emotions. Jesus, recalling the Shema of Israel from Deuteronomy 6, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Everything that is within you should be used in worship. We should respond with our mind. In worship, we should be moved to tears from time to time. In worship, we should be moved to laugh from time to time. In worship, we should be moved to shout amen from time to time. We sang this morning. Let the Amen sound from his people again. Gladly for AI, whatever that word is, we adore him. But we said, let the Amen sound from his people again. But so far today, I've heard like three. Let the Amen. We should be able to say, Hallelujah. When God does something. We should be able to say, praise the Lord. We should be able to say, thank you, Jesus. It doesn't have to be a crazy thing. It just has to be a real thing. We should be moved to applaud not a performance on stage, but we should be moved to applaud God. Our emotions should be moved in worship. We also respond with our wills. I've already said that God's revelation demands response, but worship demands response. Worship demands action. Our will should be changed to God's will. It shouldn't be, great sermon preacher, now what's for lunch? And we forget all that happened at church that day. But instead, we leave this place saying, how am I going to take what I learned in Bible study and in the message today and apply it to my life? How is it going to change my will? I came in here worshiping my pastime. Now, how am I going to worship God? It should transform our wills. We can sum up all of our role of response in just one word, and that is action. Action. Not passivity, not pew-sitting, but action. Your worship should be recognizable to those around you. One of our parents recently told me that they are often looking around the congregation to see who they can find, who they sense is genuinely worshiping, So that they can point their children to that person. So that their children will know what genuine worship looks like. I wonder this morning if a child was looking at you and they were wondering, you know, Pastor Stewart's been talking about worship. And I wonder what it looks like. If they were looking at you, would they get a good picture of worship? Or would they see you acting the same way at the office or in the presence of, I don't know, a grocery clerk? Or is there something different that they see when you worship? There should be. We're in the presence of Almighty God. If we have a sense of awe of being in God's presence... If we have adoration for who he is, if we have thankfulness for what he has done, then we should show that on our faces and in our lives. 
was considering if I was going to say this or not, but I am. I think it's an outright sin to show more response to an athletic competition than it is to God. I mean, really. We rearrange our schedules for ball games, but we don't do that for worship. We spend more time getting ready to watch the LSU football game or go to an LSU football game than we do preparing our hearts to worship. And we get more excited when LSU makes a touchdown or somebody scores a slam dunk or a three-pointer than we do when a lost person comes to Jesus Christ. And that is a shame. It really is. So I ask you this morning, do you respond to God in worship? We all respond in the rest of our lives. We respond at ball games. And all of us good pew and Baptists become charismatic at the ball games. The Pentecostals don't have nothing on us. Y'all probably jumped the bench. We jump, we shout, we... Yeah, I mean, we're a bunch of charismatics at the ball game, but come to church in the presence of Almighty God, and suddenly it's like blank nothingness. We respond to our children when we're proud of them, when we're mad at them. We respond to our spouses. We respond to our employers and our employees. We respond to sunsets. We respond to art. We respond to music. We respond to everything else in our life. We do you respond to God. In his book, Abide in Christ, Andrew Murray says, Who would, after seeking the king's palace, be content To stand in the door when he has been invited into dwell in the king's presence and share with him in all the glory of his royal life. If you had longed to enter the presence of the king and finally that opportunity came, would you stop at the door of the throne room and not go anymore? Every one of you would go into that throne room. You'd whip out your Kodak camera. You'd be slipping pictures. Most of you would have your phone out. You'd be taking pictures and text messages, emailing it to people right away. Because you'd be so proud. Nobody would be content to stand at the door instead of going into the presence of the king. Then why are we so often content to stand at the door of worship and not go into the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Why do so many Christians not sit down at the table with their best friend or not climb up into the lap of their heavenly dad? I read a statement this week that made me think, and I wanted us to think about it this morning. It said, God has plenty of everything. Except you. And your worship is the time when you open up yourself and pour out on the one who loves you more than anyone else. So don't always be consumed with what you get in worship. 
Think about what you give. God wants worship from you. No one else can give that to him. I want to give you an opportunity to think about that statement before we go into the rest of the invitation. Think about that. Do you respond? Do you give all of yourself to him? Lord, you know I've asked myself this week, do I give all of myself to you in worship? Lord, we're all coming before you right now, and we're thinking about this wonderful conversation of worship that we get to have. And and we're wondering, are we responding in the appropriate way? To what you reveal to us. Lord, it doesn't have to look like a LSU football game in here, but Lord, we just want to be as excited about you as we are about football. Lord, transform our hearts in such a way that we can worship you with all that we are. Lord, help us not stand at the door. Let's go in. Help us not to hold back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.